Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. What's up, church? How we doing? We're good. It's good to see you guys. Um, uh, we have been in a series since the beginning of the year, if I need to just remind you, or maybe you're newer and you haven't been caught up on the whole thing, but we've been in this series called According to the Spirit uh, since the first week of January. Uh, According to the Spirit, it wasn't just kind of this uh, draw a name out of a hat and kind of pick the series that we're going to go in. Um, really felt like it was the direction that, I, like, personally I wanted to grow in. I thought directionally, like speaking for our church, just an area that I think, man, I want to I wanna explore all that God has for us according to the Spirit of God. And so what we've been after this whole entire time is looking at ways that we can practice being built up so that we might abide better with the person and the work of who Jesus is, what he's done, so that we might actually embody uh, that in ourselves. We might reflect who he is to the rest of the world around us. And that is what the Holy Spirit is primarily going to do in us and through us. And last week, we got to have Pastor Brady Boyd uh, come and speak a message on, on listening to and hearing the voice of God. How good was that? How fun was that to have him with us? Um, so, like, just honored and humbled that he would come and then serve in that role as an overseer for our church. And so it was great to uh, meet him, have you guys meet him, and him meet our body. He had nothing but awesome things to say about you guys after the service. So um, what I want to do for the next couple weeks here is I want to um, really unpack and maybe redeem your definition of the word charismatic. And I know like as soon as I say that, there, there's a few different things that happen in the room. There's, there's a few of, a few of you that are just like, come on, like let's Let's do this thing. Let's go. It's about to get crazy. Uh, there's other of you, others of you that are like, are, so like you talking Congo lines in worship now? Or like, what is, what is the plan here overall? And, and uh, really like what I want to just explore is biblically, what, where do we get that word from? What does it look like? And then again, if we're going to talk about in this series, walking according to the spirit, I want to look at what that means with the word that we've shaped and, and kind of morphed into our brain to mean charismatic. And then what I want to do this week is look at how that applies to us personally. And the next week, I want to look at how that applies to us corporately and as a church and as we gather every week, what that might mean. And so um, to do that, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, And so if you want to open your Bible there, I'll kind of set some context as you're turning. Uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is just a mess. Uh, They have a lot of just awful, terrible things going on. Uh, There's some just crazy sexual uh, bad things that are going on there. And then they In this chunk of the scripture, 12 through 14, Paul's specifically writing to the way that they're administering and using spiritual gifts. And so uh, the funny thing is about the church of Corinth, the the irony is that they think they're really good at being spiritual. And yet Paul's going to write to them and he's going to correct their use of these spiritual gifts. And so I think any, any church that has any sort of value of being charismatic in practice ought to pay attention to what Paul is talking about right here because he's communicating values, not that these gifts are unimportant, but how they should be rightly ordered, how they should be pursued, and what should be pursued along with them whenever we get together. And so we'll start off reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen, um, and it reads like this. The opening line, I'll just kind of point something out here right away. Now concerning spiritual gifts, it's important to note that gifts actually does not show up there in the original language. 
they pull in this concept of gifts from later on in the passage. But what that is really saying in Greek, probably a better translation, I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm smarter than the person who translated this. Just when you look at it, scholars are going to agree that really what this is saying is now concerning spiritual realities, concerning the fact that we live in a spiritual world. So you got to keep in mind, Paul's writing to Corinth, and Corinth was largely pagan before they uh, gave their faith over to Jesus Christ. And so in their pagan culture, they had gods for everything. If you, if you were struggling with fertility, you had a God of fertility that you went and sacrificed or you paid to. Uh, if you had uh, God, like if you needed help with your crops, you would go to that God. If you needed help with money, you would go to that God. They had all these different gods that they were uh, going to and turning to. And Paul's writing, he says, now concerning the spiritual reality of the world that we're living in. And let me just like just call out in us now how that lands on us as a uh, post-enlightenment, post-modern church in America in 2021. We don't like to pretend, we don't like to think that there are spiritual realities in the world that we live in. What the enlightenment has done to us and how we've moved forward from that moment is we think that life is just really about an intellectual ascent and the more knowledge that we can learn and the more things that we can grasp in our heads, the better we're going to be able to operate as a society and as a people. And let me just like ask you, how's that working out for you right now? Not, not great for me personally. How many of you, here, here's a better way to put it. How many of you know something and yet you find yourself powerless to continually do it? I feel this way about like my budget personally. Every month we know we have so much money to spend on eating out. And every month, if we're going to break the budget somewhere, it's going to be on eating out. Like I know the right thing to do. I know how much money should be ordered there. And yet I just keep finding myself eating Vato's tacos more often than I want to be. Maybe less often than I want to be actually is how I should say that. But anyways, I digress. You just gotta, you gotta understand that, that there's a spiritual element. There's a spiritual dynamic to the world we're living in. And we as Westerners, as Americans, we like to pretend that's not true. And it is, it is true. There are, there are, there are heavenly forces, there are demonic forces at work in the world that we're living in. And Paul says, now concerning the spiritual reality of the world we're living in, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's not saying look for this phrase specifically or explicitly. What he's saying is you cannot, as a Christian, have one foot in the camp that says, I'm going to give things to these gods so that they would deliver certain things for me. And then you can't have a foot in the camp that says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is, if you're going to say Jesus is Lord, that is something that's been given to you by the Holy Spirit. He has invited you, welcomed you in, uh, offered that invitation to you, and you've responded to it. But our role is not to then live like there's both of these dual realities going on while we're serving one and trying to serve the other. That's not how it works. Paul's saying, if you want to serve the Lord, if you want to say Jesus is Lord, you're only going to say that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, or discernment maybe is how your uh, translation will read. And to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. 
Verse 11 says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, so um, there's going to be a lot of different verses that pull in this idea of spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are going to come from, I mean, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 has a list of spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 has a list of spiritual gifts. We see this in 1 Corinthians. Peter even chimes in with a few spiritual gifts of his own that he lists. And all of those are listed just to say that um, there's all sorts of things the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us and among us and through us. These are what the gifts are. But there are some people who do not believe that the spiritual gifts, especially the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit that we just read about in this passage of Scripture, are still available to the church today. Maybe I can best kind of explain it using a little bit of my own testimony, my own story. So I, uh, I grew up not going to church. Uh, weekly church service was not a part of our, our routine. I, every now and then, the best I would get was a, a Catholic mass on Christmas and Easter with my grandmother. There's a lot that happened in those Catholic masses that I was just like, I don't even know what's going on here. Like all of a sudden they're kneeling and all of a sudden they're standing and all of a sudden they're back in their chairs. All of a sudden the priest says something, they all say something back. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that. And I, I was largely just confused, maybe disoriented, right? Like it was time for communion. My grandma's like, nope, you can't go. And I was just like, but like, I'm hungry and thirsty. Like what's going on up there? Like that, like, that was, that's what framed church for me growing up. That's what I thought it was, was just like this kind of, interaction where you just watched a priest and maybe you could, maybe you couldn't understand him. Um, But like, just very, like, very interesting and confusing for me. So you fast forward like a few years, um, I start coming to this church actually in high school and I'm in pursuit of this girl right here. So just to make everything clear about how holy my motives were, (laughs) I was just like, I like Katie. Katie goes to this church a lot. I ain't dumb. So I'm going to keep showing up. Amen, anybody like in the room? And so like, I just kept showing up because I was like, well, it's important to her. So I'm gonna, I guess I'll keep going, you know? And I thought worship was just the part of the service where I had to get through where without her hearing the sound of my voice. That's what I was just like, okay, let's just get that part over. I'll just sit there. And then maybe if I'm lucky during the sermon, I could hold a hand. That's got like, this was church for me. And, and, and as I'm coming, God, God, is, God is just effectually like wooing me to himself unbeknownst to me right? And so I go on a mission trip down to Guatemala. That's where I give my life to the Lord. But even still in that, there was some, there was some untangling that had to be done in my soul of, man, if Katie dumped me today, would I still walk with Jesus after this moment? Right? And I think it's just a critical question for every person in the room to ask themselves. Maybe you're coming mostly to appease a spouse. Maybe you're a kid in the room and you're com- you come because your parents make you. Let's say that factor went away. Let's say your parents didn't make you come to church one day. Have you, have you embraced your faith as your own? It's a pivotal point that we all have to get to. And in that moment of me trying to figure out if this is really who I'm going to be, Katie and I got married. Uh, we, had, we had moved up to Fort Collins, but still attending this church. And, um, and then we, we found out we were pregnant uh, several months later. And I, I realized in that moment, I've talked about this a little bit, but I kind of had a crisis of my faith, realizing, man, I think I've just borrowed a lot from her faith because she's, she's always been a very faithful, godly woman. I've borrowed a lot from her, but I don't know that I really have a faith that I can now pass down to my daughter. And so that's a good note for parents in the room that uh, you can try and just put your, put your kid in church and try and come to church so that they would get some moral teaching when they're growing up. And, and that, that only goes so far. Your, parent, your kids' parents need to see a vibrant faith that's real in your heart first if you want to pass down your faith to another generation. And I knew that was true. Like intuitively, I just, I understood that. And so I, I, I was wrestling, like as we're finding out we're pregnant, I'm going like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't know that my faith is really 
standing on its own. I'm certainly not going to be leading any devotionals or a dad or doing any like Bible study with my kids because I just don't have it even in myself. You know what I'm saying? And so at the same time, I was working at this job, uh, a clinical research department at Medical Center of the Rockies, and which sounds awesome, but it was like 30 to 35 hours a week of data entry and then five hours a week of like some cool stuff that I got to go do in the hospital. But mostly what I was doing is I was just sitting there at my desk. So I, like I'm having this kind of wrestle of faith and I'm like, you know what? All right, fine. I'm just, I'm going to dive all the way in. And so I started just listening to every sermon that I could get my hands on. Like I was just exploring YouTube, just listening to stuff, man. And if the, if they talk slow, it was on two times speed, John Piper, somebody come on. Like that guy is just like, dude, spit it, spit it out. Like, let's go two times speed. Then you can do a 50 minute sermon in 25 minutes. You know what I'm saying? And it feels normal. Like it feels like normal conversation is the crazy thing. So I just like, I'm like, Judah Smith, John Piper, John MacArthur, Matt Chandler. I'm just like, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you had a YouTube page, I was listening to sermons all the time. And who I fell in love with, I really fell in love with some of these reformed pastors. And so let me kind of explain what I mean by that, because some of you might not have the context of church that you understand what I'm saying. Uh, the, the reformed viewpoint is going to be this really traditional side of Christianity that has a high, high view for God's word has a high view for the depravity of man and the need for our grace to be given to us by God. And they have a high, high view and understanding of God's sovereignty to do what he wants to do because he is God and we are not. And then I started listening to some of these reformed guys and, and, and the word all of a sudden, like, I don't know how else to explain it, that like the word of God just came alive. You get like John MacArthur, John, John Piper, some of these guys, apparently your name has to be John, like, but they, it just like they would spend 50 minutes talking about three verses of scripture. And I just was like, oh my gosh, how, like how do they plummet just such depths in scripture? And it became so rich and vibrant and real to me. And at the same time, what started to happen was I started to get my head around this idea of cessationism. So a lot of these guys in the reformed community, not all of them are going to be cessationists. And cessationism would be the belief that signs, wonders, and miracles as gifts concluded with the death of the apostles and should not be sought as normative. So the list of gifts that we just read here in 1 Corinthians 12, they have to do something with this verse. Like it's in the Bible, so we all have to do something with it. And what they do with this verse is they say, man, to put it in maybe different terms, the Holy Spirit moved in profound and special ways during the birth of the church in the book of Acts and even during the time of the apostles, but that has since ceased. And this is what's helpful is that cessationists don't actually believe that miracles are over. This is, good. this is good for me to know. I didn't realize this really until this week. And to be more charitable, it's like a cessationist worldview. They would say, no, miracles still happen. happen. Healings still happen. Prophecy, like, the, prophecy is one they're going to ma- mainly disagree with. But some of these things can still happen. It just is not normal. And therefore, it should not be pursued as ministry for the church. Okay? So I hit, like some of you, like the more charismatic people in the room, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> because charismatic, where we really get that word, is from the word charisma, a gift of grace a favor which one receives without any merit of his own. So, so to really disagree with a charismatic viewpoint would to be to disagree that these gifts are still available for the church today and should be pursued as normal. And what's the opposite of a cessationist worldview would be a continuationist or a continuation theology, not a worldview, but the belief that spiritual gifts, especially the sign gifts, are still available to the church today and the miraculous can and should be sought as normative. So my, my beef today, my bone to pick, if I had one, is not actually to, to rail against cessationism. If you want to read through scripture and you want to conclude that cessationism is, is the route forward, uh, I just, 
I disagree with you. Um, but my bigger bone to pick in the church that I know that we're a part of is that we actually, we're continuationists. Like we believe that the Holy Spirit's still moving and active and that the miraculous is still possible. And yet we don't pursue it. That's, that's really the issue that I have is not that like there's cessationists in the world. There's, there's people with all sorts of different theologies. You can just like rest in that. My bone to pick is that like, man, if we're going to be continuationists, then let's actually act like the Holy Spirit wants to do some stuff. And so like, let me, let me kind of just bring some clarity to maybe why I land on conti- continuationists as a, as a theology. Uh, for starters, as we read through this list in 1 Corinthians 12, um, and there's the list of wisdom, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophetic word, or a tongue. I mean, would you just raise your hand if you've experienced something like that personally? Raise your hand. Okay, so don't, don't like be shy. Look around. There's a lot of people who've experienced this. So either that's just God and his sovereign will allowing us to experience that, or it's something that the Holy Spirit's still trying to be a part of and active in today. The other reason why I would, I would land on this perspective is because I believe that every single person has been gifted uniquely for God's mission and purpose. So give me just a second to kind of unpack this, world, this point, because I believe that every Christian has been uniquely gifted and specially gifted by God. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, um, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all, in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So again, like cessationist, continuationist, however you want to land, that verse is still in there. And so we still have to deal with words that say like, that it's been given to everyone, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Every single person, I believe, has been gifted. And really, cessationists are only going to get mad about the weird gifts that show up here in 1 Corinthians 12. Cessationists are still going to lump in uh, a lot of other passages. They're going, to, they're going to say Ephesians 4, the gifts for the church. Yep, circle those. Gifts of leadership, the gifts of, the gifts of hospitality, gifts of mercy, uh, all those. Yep, circle those, lump those in. Uh, Mark Driscoll, who here's, what, here's who I found as I was kind of doing this dive. I found these guys that call themselves Reformed Charismatics. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm interested here. And Mark Driscoll, one of his quotes is, you have to do exegetical origami to fold your way out of a continuationist perspective. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Because here's the deal. Like Psalm 139 shows us that you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. It's like everything that you have has been placed there by God. He's created you for a purpose, on purpose, by purpose. And, and that, by the way, if you, don't, if you are newer, if you're newer to faith, if you're just in here and you know the track record of your history that you have, you're still included in that statement. There are no accidents in the room in God's eyes. God created every single person in this room on purpose, for a purpose. And here's, Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2. He quotes Joel 2. What's happening in Joel 2, there's this concept, uh, especially for the Old Testament prophets, called prophetic telescoping. And so this is like this cool concept where, where the prophet is writing about something here. They're writing about an event that they see here, and they're simultaneously writing about another event that they also see here. And they, they fall so close in the way that they're describing the two events that you don't realize that there's, that there's hundreds, if not thousands of years in between those two events. Because they see them both. A prophet, just to reduce it down all the way that you can, would be a seer, one who sees from God. And so in this prophetic telescoping, in Joel chapter 2, when you read it, if you go read the whole chapter, you will say, is, 
is Joel talking about uh, Christ coming the first time or is he talking about Christ coming again? And the answer is yes. Yes, like you can't tease the two apart. And what he says is, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. They'll take naps more often. Maybe they'll just sleep better at night. So they'll dream dreams. And your it's a joke. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And the, the, in those days, I just, I can't see that landing on just a specific time for the church because the rest of the context in Joel chapter two is talking about Christ coming the first time and Christ coming back again to judge. So the, the, the imperative that seems to be implied in this text is that, no, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit. You're gonna need the Holy Spirit pouring out on the church so they can do the work of the ministry that God's given to every single person in the room who's following Jesus. You're gonna need the Holy Spirit in order to do the things that he's given us. That's, just, that's what it communicates. I also find it fascinating that none of the New Testament writers ever tell us when to stop using the gifts. So, so no, I'm serious because part of the cessationist view is that those gifts concluded with the death of the apostles. Yet John, the last living apostle, his, history would tell us he was the last one to pass away. He wrote four different books in the New Testament. Five. Four? Five. The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Thank you. My math was wrong. Counting's hard. I'm going to stick to teaching. It's not my spiritual gift to, to count and do numbers and stuff. Um, John writes those five books and never once says, hey, when I'm gone, make sure you stop doing some of that stuff. Right? The other example I would use is, is Jesus' words. We love to quote the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28 go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father. Like, we, we love that. And especially some of my more reformed people that I would follow would say, absolutely. That's why we got to preach the word of God faithfully so that we might make disciples. But, but Mark, he also references the Great Commission. And what he says is, yeah, go preach the word. Go tell people what Jesus has done. And oh, while you're at it, cast out demons, pray in tongues, pray in different languages. If you're going to get bit by snakes, heal people. You're like, you're going to see miraculous things happen. And Jesus, even out of his own mouth, never says us, and then, hey, once the apostles die, then stop. It's, it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it's the narrative that's being told to us from Scripture. So every person has a gift, and the detriment that we would fall into is not that we are theologically cessationists, it's that we're practically cessationists. In the way that we actually practice, in the way that we actually live out our faith, we live out the, it like this stuff isn't available to us, and so we don't pursue it. And part of the reason I think that is is because what we've done, especially with American church in 2020, 2021, is that we've, we've made it all about the gifts of a few rather than the gifts of everyone. And so we come in and, we, and we, we see certain gifts that are really visible, that are really easy to grasp, but we don't actually embrace the fact that every single person has, has had God's spirit poured out on them once you profess faith in Jesus. And so every single person has been gifted. So everybody, everybody has something like, like, gosh, there, you know, there's like a couple kinds of people that could walk into this room at the same time. And one person who has the gift of administration looks and they go, those chairs are crooked over there. There's another person who has mercy and says, forget the crooked chairs. There's somebody crying right there and they're sitting by themselves. 
Like we're, we're all wired differently. We've been given different gifts. Some of you, like Katie, Katie is one of like the most high mercy people that I know. Like she, can, we can be watching the Super Bowl and this is so like not a spiritual example, but like watching the Super Bowl when the Broncos were playing the Carolina Panthers and we were just busting it on Cam Newton, right? Just like giving it to him. And Katie starts feeling bad for that guy. I was like, babe, he's getting paid a million plus bucks to lose this game. He'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? But like there's just, there's different wirings. Like some of you have the gift of leadership. And so like, man, mercy's not high for you because you just got to make decisions. You got to call it and you got to go and you got to move. And that's what makes you a good leader. Not that you wouldn't ever be merciful or kind, but man, you're just wired different. All sorts of us. I think what we got to look for when we're looking at how to practice and walk in our spiritual gifting is look at the things that we're naturally good at and we look at our passions and we ask ourselves, where do those two things intersect? So, so for me, like teaching, if you, if you knew me at all years ago, and, and some of you in the room, you're friends with me, like you knew me years ago and you're going, yeah, I'm still kind of wondering how in the world you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> and trust me, I ask myself that same question every day. I'm like, how does this work? Like, how, like I just like make sermons and they like don't suck all the time. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And it's, I'm telling you, like, I maybe had a knack for public speaking. I can look back over my life and I could, maybe that was the Holy Spirit doing something in me at a young age, or maybe like, it's just the way he wired me was to be able to get up and run my mouth in front of people. And then I also have just a love for God's word and where those two things intersect with preaching and teaching. I never, I never sought this out. And yet here I am. And I will tell you, like the Holy Spirit takes every single message farther, higher up and further in than I could ever do this on my own. It's, it's me walking in my gifting and I'm not drawing attention to that to say that's the goal. In fact, scripture says you should not seek out the gift of teaching. But my goal in pointing that out is that every single person in this room has been gifted by God for ministry. Every single one. Every single one of you. And so like, like John, John plug next steps, like go get in step two, take the spiritual gifts assessment, try that out. And, and like, God will begin to show you, I, I believe, where you are called to be, to be operating in your gifting. So here's what's like just kind of fun. As I, as I went through this exploration of, of like, okay, uh, found these reformed pastors that I really like. Some of them are cessationists. Some of them, some of them like will say, man, you know what? Praying in tongues, that's not of the spirit. That's of the devil. And so I like, I would come home with that. And my wife is like, she's a, she's a charismatic through and through. Like she loves the Holy Spirit more than I, I've known out of anybody. She loves the Holy Spirit. And so she's praying in tongues, getting words of knowledge. Like she gets words and pictures and stuff that make me jealous. And I'm like, God, can I just please? And I think he's just like, you just shut up and you preach the Bible. Okay, bro. Like just try and get better at that for now. We'll work on other stuff later. But I'd look at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, like the way that she can just get pictures. But now I have these like reformed guys saying that's ceased and it's over and it's demonic. I'm like, well, but my wife, like, you know, like, oh, like, what do I do here? And, and here, cessationists, their primary concern, and it comes from a genuine place, okay? You got to hear that. It does come from a genuine place. They would say, if the gift of prophecy still exists, then that, that, um, that unseats the authoritative role that scripture would play in our life. And that's, that's legit. But here's, here's my problem with that, that point of view is that um, no longer are we saying from, from a prophetic word at all that, that this is as equal to or as authoritative as God's word. Th those days are over. Those days are absolutely over. They closed with the canon of scripture back at the very beginning. Like we do not get to say, thus says the Lord anymore. Those days are gone. But what I always watched in Katie was this like, 
she, she would pray, she'd pray in the spirit, she would get a word of knowledge, she would get a word of wisdom, she even, you could say, get prophetic words and all this kind of stuff. And it, it never, it never brought the spotlight onto her and it never made the gift about her. And it always brought her back to a deeper love with the word. And it always brought her back to greater obedience to the word. And so like, I just was watching this happen and I'm going, well, you're concerned that like prophetic words and tongues and stuff are going to be distracting and detracting from the word of God. That's not how I'm seeing it actually play out in my wife's life. It's actually lighting her up for what the, what the word might do in her life. And so this is, this is where, man, we like, yes, we're continuationists. And this is where I think being charismatic, charisma, understanding that word is we got to understand that every single person has been given a gift to be used by God. And every gift, second point, is for the common good. Every gift is for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the building up of the church, for the building of God's kingdom, for the edification, the building up of a believer. You might say, well, what about tongues? Like, how is tongues good for the common good? I'll say this, like, if you're strong, then we're stronger. So if you pray in tongues, if you're built up in your spirit, we as a church just got stronger by that. And, and it's to the detriment of the spiritual gifts. It's to, it was to the detriment of the Corinthian church that they thought the gifts were just to display how holy somebody can be. The gifts were never meant to just be displayed by one person so that we could marvel at that person. The gifts are given to people so that we might marvel at our creator, the giver of the gifts. And so everyone has a gift and it's, it's for the common good. He writes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writes this. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So he's putting all this order and he's saying, this is how gifts ought to play out in the gathering. And this is, this is why we're not going to pray in tongues all the time. This is why we're going to seek a prophetic word. This is, and he's putting, he's putting order and he's helping us see how the gifts find their land in a body of believers. And he's saying, ultimately, what they're for, they're not for selfish use. They're for the building up of the church, the edification of the church. This is just a great grid for you to look at um, different prophetic words, different words of knowledge. Like, always ask yourself, whose kingdom is this building up? Like, because like, I got news for you, and, and this might knock some of you, but if you, if you really like that televangelist that's got cufflinks that are worth more than your car, and he's saying, give to this ministry and you might be healed, I would say that's misplaced gifting that's being used selfishly. It's not being used for the kingdom of God. And we got to keep that in mind. We got to keep that in mind with prophetic words. My gosh, there was a lot of garbage prophecy in 2020. Can I say that to you? Prophets who were claiming that Trump was still going to be president and they just gave it up like a few days ago. Right? And so we ought to ask ourselves, whose kingdom is this building by this word being shared? And prophetic words, by the way, we don't just get to give them. Again, a prophetic word is something that you get from the Lord to be shared with another believer. And so this is just, it's a good framework for us to understand that, man, like people don't get to come up and say, well, thus says the Lord. I have this feeling today. No, it's, it's what we have, what we have today is, is full of humility, full of grace, just getting to share with somebody, hey, uh, brother, sister, I feel like the Lord put this on my heart. Would you take this and would you pray with it? And would you seek it out? Because every gift is going to come alive in spaces of grace, humility, and hunger. That's kind of the point I want to land on. Every single gift is going to come alive in spaces of grace, humility, and hunger. Um, spaces of grace. So it's going to take an environment where we can be gracious to somebody who's stepping out in their faith to come share with us something that God's put on their heart. 
Because if I want to just immediately dismiss something, man, there's a lot of prophetic words, there's a lot of stuff that look weird immediately. Let me share this story um, to make it just a little less personal. Like there's this pastor I follow, his name's John Tyson. He has a church in New York City. The backstory behind him planting that church is him and a few friends sold all their stuff, moved to New York City. They were burning just to plant a church and reach New York City. So they go and, and you know, we have this kind of romanticized view of church planting, I think, sometimes. He was, he was honest about it. it was grueling for months. Like we were having meetings in my living room, and as soon as people started to come, they had maybe like 20, 30 people in a gathering. There were a few people that were new, and he had a really charismatic worship leader. And the guy, the guy just sang, um, he just sang one chorus of one song for like 20, 25 minutes, he said. To the point where people are just, he, he like John Tyson, saying, I'm looking at my wife going, can you please save us? Like, get us out of this. Like, we can't even, we can't even leave because we've invited these people into our home. Like, but I'm, I don't want, I don't want to be here. I don't want to, like, God, would you just do something, Lord? And his friend who helped plant the church with came up and he's like, hey, I feel like I have a word. And he was like, great, why don't you, why don't you share that? Maybe that'll help this train wreck of a day that we're having right now, you know? And the, he says, his buddy gets up and he's like, hey, uh, listen, everyone, thank you for coming. Uh, I just had this word, uh, this picture God showed me of this woman and she was crying and she was, and she was vomiting. Like she was just throwing up everywhere. And she was just, there was puke everywhere. And this Barbie was coming. And he says like the way he was describing it was so like graphic and awful. Just, there was this Barbie like coming in and out of her mouth. And, and John Tyson's like, great. Does that, anyone feel like that lands? Or, you know, like he's just like, this is stupid. You know, like what are we doing here? And this woman broke and started weeping. And she said, I've been struggling with anorexia and bulimia for years. And this has been something that's just been crippling me. And John, John Tyson said, years later, he bumped into her on the street. Said that woman's been free of anorexia, bulimia, like not perfectly. You got to hear that too. She wasn't perfectly set free, but there was something that loosened and changed that day, 13 years ago. And she hadn't been the same. Right, so that, that's incredible, right? And this is, but it takes a space of grace to be able to come and to share a word like that, that you feel like God's given you. Like, it t- like, we are going to have to be a gracious people to be able to go, to have somebody come up and say something that's totally weird and for us to be able to go, hey, thank you so much, but that doesn't land at all. <laughs> Praise God, I love you. See you next week. You know what I mean? Like, we can be gracious and kind in a way that people share that stuff that invites more of it to happen. We also have to be humble. We have to be humble. And so, just like I was saying, that gone are the days of thus says the Lord with a prophetic word. Like that better translate in the way that we're talking and sharing with people. Matt Chandler, he's another one of my reformed charismatic voices that I love to listen to. Um, He said one of his young worship leaders one time was given a word by somebody else. The guy came up to him and said, hey, uh, God told me that the sin in your life is going to ruin this church. See you later. And so like the way that Matt took that, he said, you got to understand that crippled one of my favorite people for the next 10 years where he just, he was like, oh my gosh, what is it going to be? What is it that I'm going to do? How am I going to fall? And he just walked around just constantly in fear. And, and what he said was so encouraging to me was like, maybe that guy did hear something from the Lord, but that is not how we're going to be sharing it with one another. The way that he could have shared that, the way he could have expressed what God had put on his heart was, hey, um, listen, you are clearly a gifted worship leader. You are clearly uh, doing exactly what you're put on this earth to do. Hey, I just felt like God impressed on my heart to encourage you to take holiness seriously, to put to death what is sinful, what is of the flesh, and to make sure you continue to do everything you can to abide in the spirit of God. And if I can participate with that in you in any way, I would love to join you. 
Do you hear how those two things can communicate almost the same thing, but they are worlds apart in how they're communicated? And so we have to have this posture of humility. It was, it was great. I talked to Pastor Rob after first service. I didn't get his permission before first service to share this, but, but he came. He felt like God put a word on his heart, and he came to John and I this last Thursday. And he was like, man, okay, uh, I'm nervous. I'm kind of nervous. It's kind of out there. It's maybe kind of strange. And then he shared it, and I was like, man, it's not, man, it's not strange at all. It's totally something that God has been showing me. It's something I've been listening to. And, and we just got to sit there and have this great conversation. But it was, it was in, a, in a context of grace, we sat there and it was grace-filled towards one another. He was humble in the way that he shared it to me. He wasn't going like, well, you better change this, uh, pastor, or the church is going to burn to the ground. He just said, hey, listen, consider this, please. There's something that I'm seeing, and I don't know if it's from the Lord, but I wanted to share it with you. It was given with humility. It was received with grace. And, and man, by God's grace, I think he gave us some good direction on some things that are going on in the world that we're living in. Here's, here's what happens when we can actually do this kind of stuff and we can pursue it with grace and humility. Um, the God of scripture, who is so like universally big in so many areas, can in a moment become so immediately intimate to somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like all of you that raised your hand, I mean, you've had moments where God's shared a word for you, a word of knowledge, which means I all of a sudden know something that I shouldn't know a word of wisdom where it's like, man, you're considering a few different routes or I can just see a route for your life or an option that you're weighing and this is maybe the way that's gonna be best pursued and, and most wise to pursue. A, a prophetic word would just be, again, seeing something that God has for somebody else and you just, you would share that with someone and it hasn't yet happened. And so man, we gotta have grace and humility to wait on these things and to, and to actually like hunger to see them happen. That's the last point. We gotta share them with grace, humility, but we also gotta, we got to be hungry for it. We got to be hungry for it. Um, go ahead and skip Romans 12 for me, Judy, sorry. And go back over to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writes, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, so Paul also writes in 1 Thessalonians, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, um, don't quench the spirit and do not despise prophecy. And prophecy, like we, we kind of talked about already, like it can be easy to despise because people can use and abuse that gift very, very poorly. But I'll say this, there's, there's, a, there's a chasm of difference between being a false prophet and, and giving a word of prophecy that's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? I can be a false prophet and be totally divorced from what's happening in scripture, trying to build up my own kingdom, trying to do something that I think I want to see happen versus being someone who just comes up and goes, hey, listen, God, God put something on my heart and I just wanted to share it with you and you go pray on that. And the person again can say, no, that like, that's not me, man. Sorry, like, I think you're wrong on that one. We go, okay, okay, praise God. Like, there's a difference between being false and being wrong. And pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. When Paul's writing, when Paul's writing in uh, 1 Thessalonians, um, he says, don't quench the spirit, right? He says, um, it's, you should, you should, prophesy. You should desire prophecy. And then what he says that I love is just test everything that comes to you. Test it. So here's like, we get so wigged out by prophecy thinking that someone's trying to change the book and that's not what's happening. But what we have with everything is we have like the ability to appeal to what's written in scripture. So if somebody shares something with me, I can always come back to this. I can always come back to say, okay, well, what, what has God said first? But most of my interactions with words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words, what they are is they're taking like the library of scripture, which is so vast and so big, and it makes it personal in a moment. 
I'm going, oh man, God cares enough to share this with you right now? Bring this to my attention right now? He speaks to a battle that you're in in this moment? And that happens, again, it doesn't primarily happen just through me teaching the word. That happens when together, as a community of faith, we lean into this concept and we seek the Holy Spirit and pray just like what Prady was asking last week. Come Holy Spirit. And would you give me some direction? Would you, what, what would it look like if we just came in here prayered, like prayer-filled, prayed up, ready to roll into church, not just, not just coming in here to consume and, and, and rely on the giftedness that I'm pouring out, but what if we came ready to pour out an offering for our, like that we've prepared all week, that we've gone, okay, God, would you just give me something? Like, I'll tell you, like, if we could lean into this idea as a church that we've all been gifted and that God wants to do the miraculous things among us, then like what's going to happen, it's not going to be that our seats all get filled up in this room. It's going to be that baptism tank can't hardly hold the number of people we're trying to put through on a Sunday morning. It's going to be people that are, that are surrendering their life to Jesus. It's going to be miraculous things like that because guess what? Like one of the most miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit uh, before you get to all the giftedness is salvation. And if we, can, if we can use this stuff, steward this stuff correctly with humility, with grace, then we'll see people come to know the Lord. Because what prophecy is going to do is it's going to read people's mail, y'all. They're going to go, oh, how did you know that about me? How, did, how could you see that? I couldn't even see that. And I'm the one living my life, right? It's just awesome when God does these kind of things. Let me, let me just kind of confess some things here as I shut this down. Um, this is not my natural disposition. And I just want to own that in front of all of you. And I want to make sure that you're aware of this is like, this is how God's wired me. Like I have a wiring to just uh, be really, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but I have a wiring to just be really formational, to really like love the word, go deep in the word, get in Bible studies, do stuff like that. Uh, when you want to just get into a prayer meeting and just uh, maybe do some some Holy Ghost treasure hunting kind of stuff, which which is totally a thing and it's totally awesome. It's just like, it's not, it's not necessarily for me, you know? Like, it's not, it's not how I'm naturally wired. And so, man, God's been really gracious to put some really weird, charismatic people around me, right? Like, I'm just so grateful that my wife is just like, she's in on this. She loves the Holy Spirit, and she's challenging me to grow in, in the Holy Spirit. Caden coming in and leading worship the way he does, he's just, he's very charismatic. Grew, I mean, he probably grew up praying in tongues, as far as I know. Like, he just grew up charismatic. Um, but, but here's, here's what's beautiful in all this is I like, I know for some of you coming in the room today, you're like, oh my gosh, uh, we're turning into that church. And you have some role of a church in your mind. Um, but what's beautiful is throughout my 20s, right, I'm going on this exploration, trying to figure out more about who God is, having this crisis of faith, finding this community of pastors that's really small that call themselves Reformed Charismatics. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm in on that. And then I, I come on staff here and Kent shows me the desire star and like poor Kent, like, I'm just like, this, this is awesome. He's like, I've been teaching this for 15 years, bro. Where have you been? Like I've been sitting in your church. Like it just wasn't landing where the desire star, the value that we've wanted to have here for a long time is this church that holds the evangelical traditional things, the good, rich things from that tradition in one hand. And we hold the rich, uh, wonderful, awesome, godly things it, from the charismatic stream in the other. And we hold them both in tension. And what that creates sometimes is there's some of you in this room that are like, let's go full charismatic. Let's do whatever we need to do. And there's some of you in this room that are like, quit doing so much worship, just preach the book. And what we're here to, I'm, what I'm here to say is, man, we're not here for any one person and one person's bent. We're here to try and honor this book and try and lead a church the most effective way that we can while we hold these two dynamics in tension. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. 
Like some of you are going to think we should worship more some days. Some of you think we should just preach more some days. And, and I'm okay with that because I think it's the reality that God paints for us in Scripture that the spiritual gifts, being a charismatic person, does not put us at war with truth. But it's actually the Spirit of God and the truth of God. God's word of friends. They're friends with one another. Like, like truth and, and awe and wonder go hand in hand. And that's just, it's what I want to pursue. It's where I want us to go. And, and what I would just encourage you this week in is that, man, like what would your day-to-day look like if you prayed the prayer, come Holy Spirit, and then you actually embrace the identity that's got, that God has given you as a chosen son, a chosen daughter, gifted by God himself with the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. If you prayed, come Holy Spirit, and then you walked out your front door like that on your way to work, on your way to the gym, on your way to the grocery store, what might God have you do? I can't promise it's not going to get weird. I can't promise it's going to be totally normal and totally comfortable. Like God's going to challenge us to step out. But man, if we're going to read, give this book an honest read, I believe what it's trying to tell us is that the Holy Spirit is still living and active among us today. Amen? Would you stand? I want to pray. Well, Holy Spirit, would you just come? God, for some of us, this is like, this is hard. It's just, it's not the way that we grew up. It's not the church we grew up in. And it's just not the teaching that we heard often. And it's a, it's a step of faith to even believe that this kind of stuff is normal. And so God, for those hearts, I pray that you would just uh, invoke enough curiosity to dive into your word and then to pursue you in real life experience and that you would meet them in that, Lord. And God, for, for each person in this room, I just ask that we would explore uh, our own souls and be honest with our own heart if we actually believe, God, that your Holy Spirit is pouring out miraculous ways for today, then why aren't we seeking it all the more? And I pray that wouldn't be a convicting statement. That wouldn't be a statement that's, that's riddled with guilt, but would it be riddled with encouragement that, God, we could see you do some crazy stuff in our day. We could see healings happen. We could see people restored and set free from their sin, from their brokenness, from their shame. God, we could see people called and equipped to participate in the good things that you're doing. Jesus, for the person in the room, I think as I go through this sermon, I'm aware that there's probably somebody in here who just can't believe that they're actually gifted to participate in your redemptive influence in this world. And God, I pray for the person who thinks they're a mistake, who thinks they're an accident, who thinks that their history has negated this promise from them. God, would you just show them that that is biblically not true, that you've called them, that you've chosen them, and that you love them. Would you pour out your spirit on us, God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you next week.